1: I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas. I'm the author of the book, Champion of the World, now available for pre-order at Amazon.com, and I'm a lead MMA writer for Bleacher Report. Joining me, as always, you can check him out in this year's best American short stories anthology, or every day at MMAJunkie.com. It's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, I handled your personal request from last week. In this week's introduction?
2: Yeah. So See, I, I was assume to...
1: we're going to roll right into the show with no <laughs> criticisms from you whatsoever. Am I right?
2: I was hoping to go the other way, that that request would be so uh, odious to you that you would decide to just go back to speaking
1: about our MMA credentials. See, unlike my co-host, though, I do not harbor resentment towards... One half of the podcast's various personal successes, so I'm good with it. Yeah. You want me to say it? I'll say it.
2: Okay. Well,
1: that's on the very short list of things I will say because you want me to.
2: You know, I I almost want to encourage people to boycott your book. Uh, instead, I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you here by suggesting that they hate buy it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. They should still go out and buy it. Hate pre-order Chad Dundas' novel right now.
1: Man, you're just like a quivering lump of your own jealousy over there. (laughs) This episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by Fulton & Rourke. Fulton & Rourke is a men's grooming company that creates products built for the way men operate. Their solid cologne smells great and is designed to go anywhere you do. I have some of it myself, and I put it on after I shower at the gym as some extra protection against my own terrible personal funk. Just this week, Fulton and Rourke redesigned their cologne containers so they're refillable. They're just like the original cast metal containers that are designed to go anywhere you do, from your gym bag to your carry-on, even your favorite pair of jeans. The only difference is, you don't have to throw them away when they're empty, you can just order up a refill. Well, Chad, it
2: doesn't stop there because all the Fulton & Rourke's products that we have tried have been pretty great. Their shave cream is ultra-slick and low-foam, so even you might actually shave. Uh, if you uh, are into that sort of thing, the bar soap is a great-smelling, I'm going to say brick of excellence, uh, made with Moroccan red clay and designed to exfoliate, while the combination of eucalyptus, black spruce, and sage nourishes, perhaps
1: even mothers, your delicate skin. Well, everybody knows I love smelling like black spruce. Yeah. Ben, right there. now, Fulton & Rourke has some exclusive savings for CME listeners available on their website. Tell the kids at home how to take advantage of that. Well, Chad, you can go to Fulton & Rourke, that's
2: R-O-A-R-K dot com, and use the code C-M-E at checkout to receive 15% off your total purchase. Then you can join the ranks of the truly well-groomed, such as the present company.
1: That's right. We are looking good. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Vitor Belfort scores a TRT-free knockout, and Dan Henderson gets a stoppage just fast enough that he can probably convince himself that he ought to keep fighting. So, um, everybody wins? And in round two, damn it, Bellator, you're making us feel bad that we ever encouraged this nonsense. These old guy fights were funny for a while, but now you're taking this shit too far. (sighs) Hashtag Woodwatch. Woodwatch. Round three. This weekend, MMA's most sex-tippinist. Coach going to jail for tax evasionist. Dating an accused domestic abuserist superstar returns to the cage. But does Ronda Rousey have anything at all to fear? From Holly Holm. All that plus just saying stuff. Are you fucking kidding me? And everybody's favorite vaguely British theatricalist returns for Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a bit of listener mail Listener mail The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Ryan Larson And he writes After completing a successful test drive of my new time machine I can confirm that the Daniel Cormier versus John Jones rematch Was one crackerjack of a fight We were all surprised when Cormier pulled ahead to finish Jones Midway through the fifth round Given this outcome How do you recalibrate each fighter's place in the Pantheon Back in 2015 Jones is a Mount Rushmore fighter Along with Fedor, GSP, and and Silver. How far does he fall with a hypothetical loss to D.C.? Would Jones, with a legitimate loss, still be in the conversation for all-time greats? And what about D.C.? Do we put the wrestler on the Mount MMA? One other thing you might want to consider short-selling Reebok stock. I'm just saying. Oh,
2: well done. That's a good
1: email there yeah. from Ryan Larson. Good work by Ryan Larson. You know, I'm going to come out and say if John Jones were to suffer a legit loss to Daniel Cormier... In there, what we assume to be upcoming fight that we're now apparently not going to entertain the notion of until next year at the earliest. Uh, I don't think it would hurt his standing that much pending the outcome of what I'm sure would be a third fight. I mean, I guess it depends on how it goes, right? If DC comes out there and blows through the guy, then, then you gotta, you know, maybe have some second thoughts. But this is a fight where no matter what happens, if you're Jones, you can always blame it on the, uh, brief quote unquote, uh indefinite suspension that you were put on by the UFC, even though it didn't really uh result in you missing that much more time than you would have missed. You could say you had ring rust, and like I said, I'm sure they'll come back to make it a trilogy. So uh depending on a lot of different factors, I'm gonna say it doesn't undermine his case as as the potential greatest of all time that much.
2: Yeah, well if you consider this hypothetical situation where it's a close fight and then uh you know, John Jones looks like he's pulling ahead there and then Cormier comes back in the fifth round and finishes him. Like, just for the sake of argument, let's go with that one. I think you're right that people would point to potential cage corrosion there. Because if it happens in 2016, it could very well be over a year since the last fight. So I think people would, again, just say, all right, how soon can we book the third one? I I think that's exactly what they say. In a way, if he did come out there and just smash him in the first round, that might— Make people more inclined to chalk it up to a, a Matt Sarah GSP type fluke. Anyway, it goes there. If Daniel Cormier comes out ahead, everybody's just going to want to see the third one to decide what to really make of it. So I don't think that alone would knock him off the uh, the MMA Mount Rushmore. It would, though, make us reconsider Daniel Cormier. I think because then if you look back on it, you say, well. This guy was kind of a monster at heavyweight. He went down there, lost one fight to a decision against John Jones, then came back and beat John Jones in the rematch, who he previously thought was the best, perhaps, ever. Well, shit, man, you better start taking a good look at that man's face for Carmen on the side of the mountain, no?
1: No, I think so, too. I think that, that you know, aside from that one loss of Jones, there's not a lot to dislike about what Daniel Cormier has done this far in his MMA career. And, uh, it almost feels like he has been undermined by the uh, the people who who are so aghast at the notion of him as UFC light heavyweight champion at this point as though they cannot separate in their minds the difference between UFC light heavyweight champion and number one, one ranked 205 pound fighter in the world. Uh, which is kind of makes me feel bad for Daniel Cormier because as he has said himself, he didn't do nothing wrong besides go out there and win the fights that they that they gave him after John Jones as he put it in a totally amateur wrestler style way, quote unquote disqualified himself from competition. <laughs>
2: yes, Yeah, that is a great wrestler guy thing to, to say. To me,
1: it almost puts, I mean obviously not John Jones, but I think it puts the light heavyweight division in a more precarious spot if John Jones wins this fight, as I believe we were remar- rem- I mean, it'll be good to have him back as champion uh, in terms of the bottom line, since Cormier's last two fights if we are to believe Dave Meltzer's estimates uh, didn't sell very well at all
2: or even Cormier's own admissions right, about I guess he did say sales. that they had
1: not done that well uh, but we were reminded last weekend when Glover Tashira went out there and just beat the bricks off Patrick Cummins that uh, Glover Tashira is the still the UFC's officially ranked number four light heavyweight and the dudes in front of him Uh, are not necessarily dudes that we think are going to go out there and and stop John Jones. I guess it would be kind of interesting to see Alexander Gustafson go out there and try again, uh, maybe Anthony Johnson, but not a lot of depth in this division. And if you run your way through this John Jones, Daniel Cormier feud in just two fights, uh, you have the opportunity for some lackluster stuff around the corner.
2: You know what made that same point to me was watching earlier in the night and seeing Fabio Maldonado show up as the number 12 ranked oh, that's right. light yeah. heavyweight against he uh, uh, Beast in 25-8, who is the number 14th ranked light right. heavyweight. Yeah.
1: And for Corey Anderson, like, he seems to look a little bit better every time we see him. I thought he even looked better this time than when we saw him just two months ago. I agree. Uh, but at the same time, that does, you're right, underscore the shallow nature of this division when the hillbilly, the Brazilian hillbilly, Fabio Maldonado, the Iron Hill, what do they call him? They call him something. I saw the Iron Hillbilly was out there. Still ranked damn near in the top 10.
2: And you have to worry about uh, Corey Anderson's uh, longevity with all that beasting.
1: That is a lot of beasting. But you know what? When you beast 25-8, the rest is just gravy, man. You run through Fabio Maldonado like it ain't nothing.
2: I guess. That's hardly
1: beasting at all.
2: But then do you die at like 42 because you've, just, you've used up too much life by adding an extra day and hour?
1: I think we should ask Ryan Jensen.
2: <laughs> He'd if be the he guy. of
1: the time machine. Yeah. He would know. Next question this week comes to us from Randy in Hawaii. He writes, so the coach slash trainer to the biggest UFC star has just filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy while claiming to be, quote unquote, not employed and with, quote unquote, no income. Is it conceivable that we've misjudged Edmund Tarvadian? Tarverdian, Targaryens, the Red King, the Dragon King, Edmunds Targaryens,
2: Edmund (laughs) Targaryens,
1: the whole time that he's been, quote unquote, volunteering his services to Ms. Ronda Rousey all these years out of the goodness of his heart. Thoughts? This is like the most surprising slash unsurprising thing of all time, right? That it's a high-profile coach in this uh, strangest of, of strange sports that we cover, it turns out, just ain't been paying his taxes. This is what I was going to say. It's
2: surprising in the exact way that MMA bullshit is surprising and yet not surprising. Like that we would be really surprised if this happened in a real sport. But in MMA, where we're all a little half-crazy to begin with just just to be here, yeah, okay. Should have seen it coming, maybe.
1: If it turned out that Chip Kelly hadn't paid his income taxes in like a decade or Jose Mourinho had not filed for for income taxes, that would be surprising. MMA, it's kind of like, is that all you got?
2: Yeah. Something tells me Don Mattingly pays his taxes. <laughs> Religiously. But, okay, the, this thing is really weird because from what I read, for one thing, a few months before or maybe even less than months uh, before filing for bankruptcy – Uh, he perhaps transferred ownership of the Glendale fight club. Uh, I gotta wonder. Smart. Smart. Yeah. No, they'll never catch you. That's
1: like when Jake, the snake Roberts ducks underneath your clothesline and looks at the fans and shakes his finger and taps his head. Like, no, no, too smart for that. Well, you're on TV.
2: You're on all this stuff with like the most hyper exposed, uh, member of the UFC. You're like, people have seen you who don't even really watch this sport. They're not going to have a hard time doing the math here and figuring out, wait a minute, this guy who claims to have no income and who is coaching maybe the biggest draw in MMA, something's not adding up here. Like, I don't know how you think that that is
1: going to end smoothly. Well, this has got to get a big fist pump from Rhonda's mom, though, right? <laughs> like, just when she comes out with with her allegations against Edmunds Targaryens, the Dragon King. Uh, trouble comes and finds him. Maybe she's got friends at the IRS. Maybe she placed a call. I seems don't know. she dropped a dime on she him? She dropped a dime on this man. Who knows? Yeah.
2: You know, we were talking before uh, last week where you were just saying stuff, I believe, was about how you're not saying Ronda Rousey's going to lose.
1: Right. And we got a whole round about Ronda coming up later. I assume we'll talk about that then. But this seems just like one more thing in
2: the is there too much shit going on right now in Ronda Rousey's like, camp and world?
1: If you step back and squint at all of this stuff, it kind of makes her look like the villain in one of the late Rocky movies, right? Like so the 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 pampered not that Ronda is pampered, but like the 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 evil heavyweight champion that Rocky has to beat, who has like the the ne'er do well coach and the the big time book contract and all this stuff. I'm talking, you know, the Tommy Morrison era. Yeah. Rocky movies.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I would just like to know what the conversation is like between Ronda Rousey and Edmunds Targaryen's The Dragon King.
1: And her mom, right? Well. What are yeah. what's, what are those conversations like?
2: Yeah. And you know nobody loves to say, I told you so, like your mom. Man. Can you imagine? Maybe
1: Ronda has an account that she could hook The Dragon King up with, though. Maybe. He might need a different and kind of accountant at this a point. Third question this week comes to us from Richard Saunders. He writes, look, I'm from Europe, and I love Joanna Champion, but tell me why I should really be interested in her squash match against Valerie Letourneau. Letourneau lost to the happy warrior Roxanne Montefiore in the, quote, get into the house fights in The Ultimate Fighter discourse.
2: Yeah, I see the argument there, but I don't know. I enjoy Joanna Champion's style enough yeah. and the Particular way she goes about inflicting uh, awesome violence upon people's faces. That even though I expect it to be a pretty one-sided beatdown, even though I still wonder if all the Ronda Rousey fans are going to enjoy that uh, as much as they enjoy seeing Ronda flip people on their heads and stuff. I, I still want to watch it. I don't know. Maybe I just uh, I like Joanna champion enough that it doesn't bother me to think that this is going to be one-sided, or maybe it's just that I since I don't see it as the main attraction, it seems like just a a little extra juice thrown on there to get you interested, to give you something uh, leading up to Ronda Rousey's fight. I don't know. I don't mind it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right from a competition-based standpoint. This doesn't seem like it's going to be that interesting of a fight. Uh, although, I guess in fairness, we should point out that all Letourneau has done so far in her UFC career, has win three straight fights, all of which maybe seemed like she was supposed to lose them, uh, and now she comes into this fight with Joanna Yajicic, uh I guess, suppose anything could happen, but I think we all expect kind of a squash match for the champion, and you know what, for this point in in Joanna Yajic's career, I'm not going to say that that's a terrible thing. I think that in this big spot, like we talked about before, with you're expecting a high buy rate for Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm, I think Yajic has a chance to kind of steal the show here, if, uh, if Holly Holm is able to make good on some of her athletic prowess, and, and put ronda rousey into any kind of a dog fight at all then maybe yeah jay chick comes out of this thing looking looking good even though i know that you doubt that the little girls from coast to coast who tune in and pay 60 bucks to watch ronda on pay-per-view are going to uh feel the same way about a striking based uh straw weight well
2: i just remember when i was doing that story about with the speech language pathologist talking about her interaction with ronda rousey and how she'd tuned into a MMA fight for the first time in her life just to see it and how she didn't mind the grappling stuff and she was really into Ronda Rousey's fight, but there was an earlier fight. I can't remember exactly. It was the one uh, Jessica Aguilar, I believe, and uh, who was it?
1: Uh, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, so I'll have to take your word for it.
2: But uh, where Jessica Aguilar, I believe, got roughed up pretty good there, got her nose busted and then kept getting punched in her busted nose. And this this speech-language pathologist was saying that that was really hard for her to watch. Because it seemed like there was some part of her that said, hey, she's her nose is already hurt. Why do you keep punching her in it? And that seems like exactly the kind of thing that could happen with Joanna Champion and Valerie Letourneau. But I don't know. We'll see. The question I wonder, after I saw this brought up on Twitter, I believe by friend of the podcast, Suzy Cousy. Uh, what does Joanna Champion give Valerie Letourneau at the weigh-ins in her customary, here's a gift that has something to do with your nickname or something like that, something to do with your name? And you're never quite sure if it's a sincere gift or if she's mocking you somehow. What do you give Valerie Letourneau? Canadian fighter nicknamed Um, Trouble, Trouble. I believe, which is – that doesn't really help you much. Do you give her the the board game Trouble?
1: Oh, there you go. Uh, That one's free, Joanna. Maybe a – Have that uh, one on me. One of those maple leaf shaped bottles of Canadian maple syrup. Oh, Okay. I mean, if you're just going to give her a board game, I don't see how the maple syrup is any worse, right? It's Box worse. of oranges. She trains with the top team down there in Florida. You know what oranges symbolize? Death <laughs> <laughs> in the Godfather trilogy. Okay, well,
2: let's just say we we've both given Joanna champion some ideas, and she can choose whichever one she thinks is best, which is mine. Film buffs would love the oranges thing.
1: Now, last question this week comes to us from Dooley in West Hollywood. He writes, I guess he or she writes... This weekend, we saw two relatively young Brazilian scrappers, featherweight Thomas Almeida and lightweight Alex Oliveira, score their highest profile wins in the UFC so far. Both of them came by violent gut-turning knockout. Are these the next generation of fighters who will lead Brazil back to prominence? Can Brazil stop being the new Canada and reclaim its spot as the old Brazil slash new Ireland as a place that the UFC once again seems excited about bringing big events?
2: Okay, wait. So it's... It's trying to be the old Brazil of... The old
1: Brazil is back, Ben. Okay, all right. It's late career Brazil that comes out and guarantees that it's gotten back to basics and its training. What works, it's cut out all the distractions, and the old Brazil is back.
2: That's never a good sign. Well, I think in answer to the question which one of those guys uh, could be somebody to really bring it back, I think uh, Thomas Almeida... Who's a bantamweight, by the way. I believe you said featherweight. Oh. Um, but
1: Dooley's mistake. Yeah. Well, I think that... Oh, wait. Does it say bantamweight on the thing? It does.
2: Chad, this no, a mistake.
1: it says featherweight on the one I have.
2: I see bantamweight Thomas Almeida, whiteweight oh. Alex Oliveira.
1: All right. Well.
2: well, anyway, I think Thomas Almeida is the guy to pay attention to out of that bunch, and especially at bantamweight, where I don't think it's a super tough weight class right now to make your case for a title shot. Uh, especially, and I mentioned this in the, when somebody asked me to pick somebody on this card who would be closest to a title shot with a win. And Thomas Almeida is one of the guys I, I, focused on. Especially because, you know how some dudes, especially some dudes who are slated to possibly fight for the Bantamweight title here pretty soon are occasionally a little injury prone. I don't know, man. If you're a 20 and 0 dude with like three knockout finishes, all of them, you know, pretty spectacular in a row. You might want to stick by the phone and see if you can keep your weight down and stay in shape, because you never know, man. It would not be out of the question, I think, for that guy to end up fighting for a title here fairly soon.
1: No, and he's already sort of being hailed, uh, you know, four fights into his UFC career as the next big thing at 135 pounds in the men's division. Uh, and it helps your case when you're out there uh, leaving guys laying like like Steve Nelmark against Tank Abbott one of the grossest knockouts in the early, early UFC, uh, and poor Anthony Burchak is out there looking kind of like, in fact, this knockout, the one where I think we also got like an overhead view of his mouthpiece kind of like sticking out of his mouth, and then they cut to Thomas Almeida celebrating and jumping on the cage and doing all that stuff. This is one of those ones where I was like, is that other guy dead? Yeah. Like you might want to maybe not, I can understand you're excited, you know, y young man out there getting your fourth win, but let's make sure that other guy is okay before we get too into the, you know, opa well, part put, of the program. I don't know.
2: I don't put anything of that on him. I mean... Well,
1: no, it's not his fault, but I'm sitting at home while the camera is scrupulously not showing the knocked out man, being like, let's get an update on the knocked out man, please. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I agree with you there. And that was a bad one. Like, he was just unplugged and just whooped straight down. Um, but I, I think that that was one of those fights where if you were looking to see Thomas Almeida face a little bit more of a test, you're looking to see, you know, a couple of young guys and see who's going to come out on top there. Uh, and that felt like a fight to determine, all right, who are we going to think about seriously in the future of this division? And who, you know, maybe did we get more excited about it than we should have? And Thomas Almeida put an exclamation point on that one. So, I mean I do think that there's always the question, like, is that what it's gonna to take to bring big events back to Brazil is to have a Brazilian champion and uh for the UFC to go really all in on a card there. At the same time, I wonder would a Brazilian bantamweight champion be enough to satisfy the, the big card's hunger? It's not like Anderson Silva. You know, it's that doesn't have quite the same uh at least in the UFC's mind. The same voltage sure, uh, right for here, a bantamweight yeah. champion. Although
1: maybe it would be great for bantamweight. Maybe if the Brazilians turned out to be shit-eating wild men for 135-pounders because they have Thomas Almeida, then suddenly you got a place you can go that sells bantam the, the men's bantamweight fighters.
2: So you're saying that the ball could be in Brazil's court to, to yeah. find out how badly they want to yep. be the old Brazil New Ireland.
1: Do you want to stay up till 4 in the morning to watch Thomas Almeida bantamweight champion?
2: You know, if there's one place where they do, it might be Brazil.
1: Almeida, 24 years old. Alex Oliveira, 27 years old. The lightweight, the other cowboy. In case the first cowboy gets injured, we have another cowboy that we could fall back on at any point. Uh, he seems like the kind of dude who is going to be super popular because of his fighting style, because of he appears to have a lust for life. Uh, and because he wears a cowboy hat. We saw him ring, wear at least two different hats, which never, never hurts. <laughs> uh, and besides, man, when you got the cowboy tattoo, it's not like you can go away from that nickname. You can't go with another nickname even though there's also a Cowboy Cerrone. You yeah. got to be Cowboy Oliveira because you, you have the tattoo. Or
2: if you really decided you had to be against it, you could change the tattoo to where it reads Cowboys and Aliens and this claim that you're a big fan of that film.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh He seems like the kind of dude who's going to be super popular and an exciting fighter and do well and also uh, lose every third fight or, like, you know, lose the odd fight. It seems like we maybe it's just because his loss to Gilbert Burns still kind of looms large in my mind, uh, but he seems like the kind of guy that will fall victim to some wrestlers. Well, yeah, and also
2: you could see that in his fight uh, here where, you know, it was kind of even one-to-one going into the third round Then he knocked Hallman out, but there were some moments there in that second round especially where you saw some, some gaps in his game exposed. And in this division, that's, I think, the big difference is not so much that I think... Uh, Almeida is just that much better, uh, than Alex Oliveira is, but Oliveira's in a lightweight division where there's a bunch of killers, man. That, that thing is a shark tank and you have to win like seven or eight fights in a row, as we've seen most of the time in order to get a title shot. So somewhere in there, I agree. He's probably going to get tripped up, but I still love me some cowboy Oliveira, man.
1: Yeah. Like we were saying when we answered the first question, light heavyweight wishes it had won Alex Oliveira or for that matter, Rashid Magomedov. Lightweight has 50, 50 of them. Yeah. So that's, that says all you need to say about that. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning uh, to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss from tuesday to friday when the when the podcast isn't coming out it's fun it's short it's humorous if you don't like it you can always unsubscribe so go to the website co event and sign up for that now as for right now though we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one Ben, it just seemed like one of those nights at uh, UFC Sao Paulo. There were a lot of strange and, I guess, uh, extraordinary, you would say, finishes on this card. You know, you had uh, the referee stepping in on behalf of Gleason Tebow to get the win over Abel Trujillo in their fight when it didn't seem like Trujillo had tapped out. Uh, You had, as we talked about in the opener, Thomas Almeida and Alex Oliveira scoring kind of... uh, Big time knockouts over their opponents. You had Patrick Cummings getting saved on the feet uh, after just taking a beating from from Glover to Uh and you had you know guys like uh, uh, Clay Guida getting tapped out when when he uh, he dives into a uh, into a into what he thought was going to be a takedown, got choked out,
2: and lost his Reebok shorts trying to get out of that guillotine. You notice that?
1: Yeah, I've heard that there that the performance leaves something to be desired from some people who know.
2: We might talk about that later. It's possible.
1: Uh, but then you, you know, you get to the main event. It seems like one of those nights, a lot of finishes, a lot of knockouts. And then what we get from Vitor Belfort and Dan Henderson is about two minutes of staring at each other while Dan Henderson throws some low kicks. And then Vitor Belfort goes upside his head with a head kick. And, uh, shortly thereafter, it's all she wrote. Referee Mario Yamasaki steps in to call the fight off. Uh, I guess, do you want to talk about the stoppage or, or should we just forge ahead?
2: I got no problems with that stoppage. I, I know Dan Henderson didn't like it, but when's the last stoppage you remember that Dan Henderson liked? You know, he didn't like the one in his fight with Musasi. You know, he, he's just one of those guys where he's always going to feel like he can keep fighting, and it's justified in a way because we have seen him, like in those fights, like his second fight or even his first fight uh, with, with Shogun Hua, where he, he does seem like he's got one foot in the grave there and then he'll come back. So... I can see why maybe he feels like he ought to be given more of a chance there. But I don't know, man. You get kicked upside your head, dropped. Yeah. He got punched and went went limp there. The ref can't wait to see if you're going to come back from that. He's got to jump in there.
1: Yeah, he did pass the what-the-fuck test immediately afterward. but from flat on his back. But it was a situation where, like you said, he got tagged uh, and, and kind of appeared to go limp for a split second. Which, anymore, that's kind of all you should have to see to, to stop a fight. But um,
2: I believe the what-the-fuck rule requires you to get up.
1: Does it get up and what the fuck
2: is your problem? We would need
1: a a what the fuck rule scholar to come in and tell us if that was indeed uh, part of the details there. Anyway, Vitor Belfort uh, comes out in his native Brazil and uh, gets a first round knockout win uh, and then starts talking about how he's got his eye on Luke Rockhold, which is kind of a weird call out. Some other people said that they would want to see him fight Tim Kennedy, uh, who appears to be coming back from from thoughts of retirement anyway, uh, and and appears to want to uh, take on people who he believes were cheaters for their TRT abuse. Um, but this was a fight, like I said in the intro, where it seems like uh, Dan Henderson is going to feel like he got job. So he's going to make an excuse to himself about why he should carry on. And, and frankly, if you're a guy like Dan Henderson, this isn't I don't know if there's ever going to be a point that seems perfect to you to walk away. But this doesn't seem like it when you feel like you got job on a quick stoppage. And uh, Vitor Belfort, obviously, coming off a win even at 38 years old, uh, is certainly going to see no reason to pack it in. So two long and, at this point, strange careers. Just kind of keep on trucking.
2: Yeah, I I agree that Dan Henderson, especially as I wrote about in my column, that post-fight quote that the UFC sent out, did not make it seem like that was a man going, well, maybe I need to reevaluate and think about my long-term plans here. He was just thinking about this fight and saying, I screwed up, there's your quote. Like, basically, leave me alone. And he's one of those guys, too, for years. I think we've been asking him every single time in interviews, when are you going to retire? When's going to be the last one? And he does not even seem to see that rushing up at him.
1: Yeah, uh, he told Fox Sports Damon Martin back in June prior to his... Uh, fight with Musasi that he was going to fight out this current contract, and at the time he had three fights left on it. So unless he signed an extension without without our knowledge, uh, this would have been the last fight on that contract. So it is going to be a situation though where Dan Henderson has to make a decision. He's going to have to put put his John Hancock on a new contract, or uh, you know think of something else to do. But
2: so think of something else to do. Act like he wouldn't be a perfect fit in that seniors division over there in Bellator. Come on,
1: man. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if that's what if that's what he wanted to do, they would they would certainly welcome him with open arms, as I believe we will talk about coming up in the next round. Uh, Let's talk about Vitor Belfort, though. Uh, He goes out there um, once again, uh, we believe, deprived of any kind of uh, extracurricular help. Uh, And this time scores a, a head kick knockout. Um, just like he just would like, it was his favorite thing to do back in the TRT era. Does that mean anything to you?
2: Not really. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of those things where one of the arguments people make about this is always, Hey, and Vitor's made it himself. TRT doesn't teach you these great kicks that he's been using. TRT doesn't teach you how to throw a punch the same way people would say steroids doesn't tell you how to hit a baseball. That's right. Uh, it just makes it go farther when you do hit it. And the same way, you know, TRT might not teach you how to fight, but it does help you in a lot of ways that are very relevant to honing your skills and implementing them as a fighter. So, it's, I was never of the opinion that without steroids, Vidor Belfort would never be able to muster his strength enough to lift his leg up uh, high enough to hit somebody in the head with it. I don't think he was going to turn into a de- decrepit old man who could no longer throw a single kick. Uh, but, to me, it's not really the point. It's not just that could you ha- have done this thing without steroids because, hey, if the steroids didn't help, he wouldn't have been taking them. You know that. That's the same thing with all these guys. So to me, if you're looking for some kind of redemption for Vitor Belfort, I mean maybe if he keeps showing up looking like dad bod Belfort, if he keeps showing up clearly with a physique that says no performance-enhancing drugs here – and fights his way all the way back to the UFC middleweight title and wins it, all while being tested heavily by USADA, okay, then maybe then. Maybe then it'll be enough to, when we finally write the book on Vitor Belfort's very long and very complex career, uh, it'll look a little bit different. Uh, but as of right now, you head kick a 45-year-old Dan Henderson and knock him out, I'm not prepared to say that that means that uh, Vitor Belfort never needed any chemical help. How about you?
1: Ah, no, I agree with you. And I, you know, at this point, it's starting to seem It's seemed this this way for a while, but it's starting to seem more and more like he will never, at least during his career, have to face the music for any of his prior mistakes and or transgressions. Like we said, leading up to this fight, it felt like for, you know, in the in the very recent past that the truth was kind of starting to close in on him, that he had to pull out of that uh, appearance on the MMA hour and and go on inside MMA and. and, and say some stuff. But he also, you know, met with presidential candidate Ben Carson that week, which is, a you know, a weird and you have to think uh, that Ben Carson's people were just ignorant of the fact that maybe he was receiving an endorsement from one of his sports most notorious cheaters.
2: Or they, they Ben Carson's campaign believed that all those steroid uh, syringes were just a store grain.
1: Yeah, that's possible, too.
2: Oh, topical presidential campaign reference. Nice.
1: Good work, Ben good work. Uh, But like, he's still clearly very popular in Brazil, you can still send him down there and 10,628 people will turn out to watch him fight. It's in Sao Paulo and give him a nice ovation when he kicks a 45 year old man in the face. Uh, At least they will give him an ovation as they immediately head for the exits because it's almost four in the damn morning. Uh, But he still seems he still seems marketable. He still seems viable. And now he's back to winning fights. Uh, It does seem like Vitor Belfort Uh, His future at this point is brighter than maybe we would have expected.
2: Yeah, and he's been doing it for fucking ever, man. Vitor Belfort has had such a long career through so many different ages of MMA and has inhabited so many different bodies throughout those different ages. You know, I guess you got to give him some points for that, at least. Plus, I hear Globo loves him.
1: Whatever Globo wants, man. We haven't heard about them for a while. Uh, well, Ben, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to uh, round number two this week. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for well, this week?
2: Chad, I don't know if you heard about, I believe it was back earlier this year uh, when Paige Van Zant angered some fans by claiming that she was going to shave her head for some kind of charity and then deciding not to do that. After all, there was even one of those White House petitions filed <laughs> to get President Obama to make Paige Van Zant shave her head. Uh, Now she's back. I see on Instagram today, Paige Van Zandt posting another thing talking about how for a uh, cancer charity, she is going to chop off her hair. Are you fucking kidding me? Please just stop talking about cutting your hair. It's redemption. It's a chance for redemption. I just, come on. You know what? It's especially... It's going to fall flat here because, you know, Rose Namajunas already posted on uh, uh, social media. She done chopped her hair off, man. Didn't even need to make a whole big deal about it. Didn't need to grandstand over it. Maybe realizes that we only give so much of a shit about your goddamn hair. Please, stop talking about your hair. You fucking kidding me with this? Are You fucking kidding me. Plus, how do we know we're really going to do it, man? How many White House petitions need to be filed? When is Obama going to get on this stuff, Benghazi? do you think, sorry that one just came out do you end.
1: think that a like a really poorly photoshopped like daniel cormier <laughs> style photoshop of a bald page van Zandt will emerge at some point
2: i would love that well i think we we probably have some listeners who are getting on it as we speak
1: ben this week my are you fucking kidding me absolutely must go out to senior vice president and general manager of ufc brazil giovanni decker who said after ufc fight night 77 from sao paulo And I quote, according to Guillerme Cruz of MMA Fighting, he called it the greatest show in UFC and MMA history. Wow.
2: And MMA history. And I
1: mean, I don't know, man, it was late. You know, it was really, really late. And we have no idea how long Giovanni Decker had been up or what he had been drinking. And I guess it was also the first televised UFC card for the last five weeks. So maybe he was gambling that we just wouldn't remember. any of the other fight cards that had come before or even like
2: earlier this year for example
1: but be serious man are you fucking kidding me the best (laughs) the greatest show ever in the history of the u not only the history of the ufc but the history of mma are you fucking kidding me
2: Fucking kidding
1: all right well that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two
2: Well, Chad, what are you doing on February 19th? Well, I already got my calendar marked, sir. Because I think you and I should hop in the car, take a road trip on down to Houston, Texas, where we can see the next Bellator quote-unquote tentpole event. And just in case you're not yet convinced that this will be a great time and great opportunity for us to eat Funyuns and uh, sing along with the radio out on the open road, you know who's going to be fighting at this thing? Just please tell me. It's going to be Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie. No. That's in the year 2016. Are we getting in Ryan Larson's time machine? As well as a co-headliner featuring your man Kimbo Slice against Dafir
1: Harris, who you might know. Never heard of him. As Dada 5000. Dada 5000?
0: That's right. Oh. The
1: Dada 5000. Goodness gracious. Now, Ben, I got I have a confession to make to you. I've heard this news, but I haven't read word one of the news reports surrounding it. And I know that... Uh, Texas has a reputation as sort of an anything goes state athletic commission, but have we gotten any explanation about how we're going to put Ken Shamrock, whose last fight was a heavyweight affair against Kimbo Slice in there against maybe 170 pound Hoist Gracie? I, I imagine Hoist has put on a couple pounds over the maybe years. Maybe he's pushing 185 now. <laughs> can we do, are they just going to do an open weight? Like what's the...
2: That is one of many sanctioning problems I could think of with this fight. Not only the weight difference, but also the fact that either one of these dudes could die. Yep. Just straight die. At
1: which point, the Bellator MMA Senior Tour stops being a lot less fun, right? Yeah. Now, you
2: made a reference at the top of the show, which had actually occurred to me in a more serious fashion. Are we to blame here? Not we, you and I, but we, the MMA community that applauded bellator's fuck it let's just try whatever mentality in the recent past and now bellator says all right old ass ken shamrock versus old ass hoist gracie in a doesn't matter weight fight also kimbo slice and dada 5000 dada 5000
1: (laughs) is this is this on us i mean partially yeah not only the mma community but you and i personally i think uh No, but it is, right? Because of hashtag Woodwatch. Everybody keeps hashtag Woodwatch in these fights. And that, you know, Bellator has been emboldened by that. And Now, this is the end result of this. The week prior to the Ken Shamrock Hoist Gracie announcement, there were some rumors flew around that it was going to be Ken Shamrock against uh, Kurt Angle and his pile of trash neck. Because Kurt Angle had said he had a big announcement with Bellator coming up. It turned out he was just he's just gonna be at Dave and Busters playing skee ball for the fanfest. But like that seems almost more defensible than this one. Because at least they would be close to the same weight, uh, and you wouldn't be booking forty eight year old Hoyce Gracie to go out there and fight a guy who I assume will outweigh him. Although now that I look at it, look at it, Hoyce Gracie is coming off a win over Kazushi Sagaraba. However, Gracie tested positive for anabolic steroids after match, it says on the Wikipedia page.
2: When you say coming off a win, what year was that again? Yeah, that's
1: June 2nd, 2007. So technically yeah. coming off a win.
2: I guess. I guess. Uh, I mean, the approach that Bellator has taken here is to put together events and fights that are so ridiculous you can't bear to look away.
1: Yeah, you, you, like a car, it's like a car wreck.
2: Yeah, you, you're going to watch because you feel like it's going to be in some way crazy or ridiculous. People are going to be talking about how that was some ridiculous, unintentionally hilarious bullshit afterwards, and you want to be in on that conversation. Like, that's the whole appeal here. Yeah. And, and that's, that appeal, as you said, has a certain hashtag would watch ability.
1: Yeah until something horrible happens. And I, w- I have a feeling that this fight is going to be one where a lot of people at, le- at least profess on social media that this is too much for them, too far for them. They're not interested in this. They're not going to watch it. But I would still bet you that Bellator goes out there and fetches a fairly sizable rating for this fight, which, again, will just continue to embolden them, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Uh I guess, though, but I wonder if it will just get to a point when You can't top yourself, or you can't out ridiculous your own past bookings.
1: How long, like, how sustainable is this? Well, it's not sustainable at all. All these dudes are fifty. Like, it's just that, like, (laughs) it's not. It's unsustainable. (laughs) Is I think the exact word for it. Since none of these guys will be able to even get in the cage within a few years.
2: Give Dan Henderson five years, and he'll be right there, man.
1: Right there, ready.
2: Dan Henderson versus Dada 5000. Can we
1: talk about Kimbo Slice versus Dada 5000? Because, Ben, I know you've watched Dogfight over on the Netflix. And uh, these guys have, have some history, at least according – we've heard Dada 5000's side of the story, which makes it sound like he was a member of Kimbo Slice's entourage there during the, the high times, the heyday. And then to hear him tell it, it sounded like he felt like Kimbo's people pushed him to the side. Yeah, Because they did not want him to overshadow Kevin Kimbo Slice Ferguson during his glorious rise to stardom in the MMA world. So I'd assume that Dada 5000 and his 2-0 MMA record and 38 years of age will be coming into this fight with a score to settle.
2: Yeah, well, at least that's his version of the story. And he did seem in the dogfight documentary like kind of a born promoter in a way. Yeah. Had, had a weird charisma about him, really knew the importance of selling people a, a story they could sink their teeth into. So uh, it makes sense that he's come up with that there. It doesn't, I guess, matter how accurate it is. Uh, although it would not be hard to imagine that Kimbo's people and the, the Elite XC people uh, might have decided, you know what, we don't want uh, the slightly racist midwestern mma fans to get confused about which big bearded black dude they're supposed to be rooting for here so let's keep this guy out of the picture just just so they can stay focused on kimbo so sure that that could have happened uh but also did you see his fight that is shown not i don't think it's in its entirety in dogfight but like the mma the actual MMA fight that he does have uh towards the end of the movie
1: i gotta be honest with you i did not view the whole documentary okay
2: he he has a fight there. For one thing, it's interesting because when he shows up, uh, the head of the commission there pulls him aside, like pulls him into the bathroom basically to be like, stop putting on fucking illegal backyard fights. It's a terrible idea. Uh, See, I
1: didn't I, – I got – I got pretty much all the way through the, the opening scene of the awesome backyard event that they're putting on, which includes putting up tarps over the fences so motherfuckers can't stand outside and watch that shit for free. Uh, <laughs> but that didn't get any further than that. Well, I had already seen what I came for.
2: He has this fight, and for one thing, he gets totally exhausted. For another, it becomes clear that he does not have anything resembling a ground game. Uh, it kind of gets saved by the referee in a stand up. I don't, from like a dominant position. I don't know exactly. Maybe the other dude was in mount even and got stood up and then he ends up coming back and knocking the guy out. Um, I don't think that Kimbo Slice is necessarily going to look to exploit his lack of a gaun- ground, game. Just with his say, own lack
1: of a ground game. Nothing <laughs> you just said makes me feel like he can't beat Kimbo Slice. But then
2: isn't that though when it starts to feel even weirder when it's like, all right, Instead of the old thing where it was like we took this backyard brawler, put him into MMA, and you could tell yourself it was the ongoing MMA experiment, right, where we're taking different styles and and testing them in there uh, against one another. Now we're just taking two backyard brawlers who will basically come to some kind of, we assume, gentleman's agreement not to do anything other than this one aspect of MMA. These guys are probably –
1: nobody even going to throw a kick in this fight. Are you sure we're not going to dot out 5000 is not going to come out with John Danaher in, in in tow as part of his entourage wearing no, that, his rash guard everywhere he goes? That would be sweet. Giving him those awesome John Danaher style, like, uh, eccentric genius uh, r- ringside advice. You and, don't think that's going to happen? we you look He's over, not going to catch Kimbo Slice in a go-go plata?
2: You think that you really pulled off a great mind fuck there by getting John Danaher in your corner. Then you look over. And Kimbo Slice is mobbing to the cage with Judo Jean LaBelle.
1: Oh boy, well then you got trouble. Yeah. All right. So here's my question about this: If let's say Dada Five Thousand beats Kimbo Slice, does that end the the Bellator backyard brawler e- experiment, or does Dada Five Thousand simply fit into Kimbo Slice's old role? Does he does he then take up the mantle as internet backyard street fighter who becomes the new guy MMA? Fans will hashtag will watch.
2: Are you saying, does a win over Kimbo get Dada 5000 a shot at Ken Shamrock? Is that yeah, what you're asking?
1: Something like that. I mean, either that or we got to look up Sean Gannon, see what he's doing, see if he ever got his job back on the Boston PD after the UFC fed him to Brandon Lee Hinkle.
2: Yeah, that there's a lot of different ways, I guess, you could go when you think about it there. Uh, I just wonder if we're going to watch this fight and then come away and going, oh, wait a minute. No. This reminds me why I like watching MMA and not just sitting around watching YouTube Street Fight videos, um, because of the stuff that is lacking in this fight.
1: I'm excited to find out one way or another. That's going to do it for round number two. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. He's going to lead us in a rendition of Master Tweet Theater. That starts right now.
2: What's that time again, we welcome back to the show, friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock.
0: Good day to you, sir. I am sprung forward but falling back. What does that mean? I'm not sure. They change the times every year about last week, and I'm just catching up to it now. They
2: do indeed do that. Well, I guess I'll go ahead and ask, is there a theme for this week's Master Tweet Theater?
0: Yes, sir, there is. The theme is how it sounds to us. Again, I
2: ask, what does that mean?
0: Tweets that differ, perhaps, in how they sounded to the original tweeter compared to how they sound to us. Okay. You know what?
1: I can dig it. That actually sounds like a good theme. That does sound right up your alley, at least. Let's see if we stick to it. I'm going to say no way.
0: Compliance will be near 80%. Alright,
2: let's get with it then.
0: <clears throat> let's, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by the Seldom Fail Elevator Corporation. Seldom fail, because Never Fail Elevator Corporation has been ripping you off. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, I see. uh, Maybe your association with
0: giant iron swastikas didn't end as well as you thought it would. Well, it turned out that giant iron swastikas launched an ill-advised takeover of a nearby swastika corporation, and the community (laughs) had to put a stop to them.
2: I see. Well, I'm sure this one will end much better.
0: Tweet the first. A successful person is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks that others throw at him. Okay,
2: so if someone has decided to take the, the criticism from the haters yep. and really put a positive spin on it, that sounds like a quote,
1: does it not? Yeah, that, I mean, to me, that sounds like the other Randy Couture.
2: Rich Franklin? Yes. Okay, that does, that does sound like I could be a Rich Franklin. I'm going to say another person who's known for positive quotes. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here and say your man Henzo Gracie.
0: Both fine guesses, both, quote, positivists, but I have tricked you. It is Ruslan Magomedov.
2: (laughs) That's you tricking us, huh?
0: Yes, I assumed you would both guess variations of Rich Franklin.
2: Well, certainly we would not have guessed Ruslan Magomedov.
0: No. No one predicts Ruslan Magomedov. Sir Nigel is winning. Tweet the second. This is a poem. Mm. Oh, good. Kisses red like fire. Burning to yellow as they fade into my soul. I took this pic with my iPhone. <laughs>
2: what? Mm. What's the punctuation like there?
0: There is no punctuation, sir. There is only all. enjambment. Okay. Wow. Chad, you got any thoughts here? Oh, uh. uh, read it one more time. <clears throat> I'll read it in poetry voice. How about that? Oh, good. I- I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Kisses red like fire, burning to yellow as they fade into my soul. I took this pic with my iPhone. That was a good poetry voice. It I was. Have to say. It
2: was not bad. Uh, I'm gonna guess Jessica I,
1: who yeah, Sir Nigel that's, likes. That's what I was thinking. Um, boy, that's a that's a rough one. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use my pass. What? I have, I have a pass, right? I'm going to go ahead and use my... Motherfucker, my, guess somebody! abstention.
2: You better say a fighter's name. <laughs> There's going, there going to be some problems uh, right up in here. We're going to get on Rumbler?
1: No, we're not going to we're get on Rumbler. We're going to sort or. this shit out? I can't I can't think of any fighters that I think would post this poetry. Uh, Lauren Murphy, that's not right.
0: All right. Hmm, both fi- at least one fine guess. Both wrong! It is Randy Couture! God damn it! Randy Couture, the poet. Undiscovered. I what was- what was the pick of? Unclear. I didn't even click on it. I was just blown away by the poem. You have- you have failed us here today, Sir Nigel. This motherfucker done changed the game! <laughs> I assume the picture is of an exotic dancer who will love Randy Couture forever. <clears throat> Tweet the third. Boxers and wrestlers fight in the ring. MMA fighters use the octagon. Backyard brawlers, we fight in the BYB trigon. And then a picture of what is commonly called a triangle.
2: <laughs> oh, man. um, Backyard brawlers? Uh, does Tank Abbott have a Twitter? He
0: does, I think.
1: All right, Tank Abbott. I'm going to say n- n- Newsmaker this week... Dada 5000. Oh, shit. I don't even know if he's on Twitter, but that's my guess.
0: All right. It is It is Dada 5000, is. and he is absolutely on Twitter. He's out there. How did I not know that he was on? Look, I wish you guys could see the dance Chad is doing in his chair. <laughs> a, a rigidly coordinated dance, I would
2: say. So tell me right now, is Dada 5000's Twitter as amazing as i'm
0: imagining it is oh yes i had a hard time i I came very near a theme of all quotes by dada 5000 but those would have been very easy to guess yeah well now i gotta i know what i'm doing as soon as this segment ends he's incredible way more futuristic than the original dada (laughs) i might add but makes no more sense tweet the fourth no reason not to celebrate why not cheers and then a picture of the tweeter in question drinking beer on the beach. That feels like maybe the poet Philip Baroni. It does. It does feel like the poet
1: Philip Baroni. Ah, uh, boy. I'm
0: going to go with Joseph Duffy. Okay. Both fine guesses, both solidly grounded in deduction, but both wrong. It is Dan Henderson. Ah! No reason not to celebrate, none at all. Huh? Okay. Hmm. Yes. I feel. I feel like
2: I. I maybe should have got that one, but also I don't feel like that at all.
0: No, just leave him alone with his beers and his sense of celebration. Hmm. hmm. Now I'm sad. I'm not sure what's yeah, happened there. It really started as a joke, but I just got thinking about the inevitability of age. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I know what'll fix that. Tweet the fifth. <clears> hmm. <throat> I think I'm going to start wearing gold chains.
1: <laughs> Chad, are we sure that wasn't you? Well, that it could have been me, but that to me sounds like the poet, Philip Peroni. Woo, I guess if it is him, most surprising thing about that tweet, he does not currently wear gold chains.
2: Yeah, that was that's going to be my thing. Uh, I'm going to say Joe Benavides.
0: Both fine guesses, but only one correct. It is the poet Philip Baroni, whom I guess I pictured wearing a gold chain even as he tweeted it.
2: (laughs) Wow. You know, and when I went Joe Benavidez, I was going, it's like a funny joke. Uh, And now that I know it's the poet Philip Baroni,
0: I guess it's not a joke. No, nor funny. Well, kind of funny.
2: Well, I look forward to those gold chains showing up in a Las Vegas area pawn shop soon.
0: (laughs) He'll keep them forever.
2: Well, Sir Nigel, I guess that about does it. What else you got going on?
0: You know, it's funny you ask, sir. I just finished wrapping an exciting project about a police officer who must travel to the past and assassinate a politician in order to save his innocent wife. I see. And what's it called? It's called In the Nick of Time Cop.
2: And what role do you play?
0: I play Eleanor Roosevelt.
2: <laughs> well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock.
0: Thank you, sir.
1: Ben, let's just get right to it. I started off the show by posing the question, does Ronda Rousey have anything to fear from Holly Holm? So I'll just ask you to start this round three. Does she? You know, a fighter with Holly
2: Holm's skills and experience in combat sports in general, you can't say she has nothing to fear. Right. I think there are some ways that Holly Holm could pose a problem and could give Ronda Rousey a little something different to deal with. But the problem is I don't think Holly Holm can knock Ronda Rousey out. Right. I think she would have to beat her by decision, which means being in there for five rounds with Ronda Rousey coming at you and trying to throw you on your head. And I yeah. think eventually she's going to get there.
1: Yeah. It, uh, the thing that I keep coming back to is that the margin of error will be so unbelievably slim for Holly Holm. And the truth is, like, Holly Holm stacks up athletically, as well as anyone that we've ever seen sent out there to fight Ronda Rousey. Um, she should be able to compete with her in, in terms of size and strength. I like a lot of what we've seen from Holly Holm. Uh, in terms of her mobility and, and her ability to fight from distance and keep away from Ronda Rousey. And clearly she's got the striking skills that if she manages to keep it on the feet, she has a chance to at least make things interesting. But margin of error, man, just like you said, I think all it takes is one time for Ronda Rousey to get within clinching range and she can start putting together those chains of judo takedowns that she can get into with the speed of a, you know, young prodigy that I don't think anyone's really ever going to be able to catch up and scout and be able to compete with. And if she gets if she gets you on the floor, it's probably over. She can probably just arm bar you. And that makes it a tall task for Holly Holm and anybody really in this fight. Although, like I said, athletically speaking, I feel like Holly Holm is a person that can drag this out longer than 30 seconds, unlike ronda rousey's other recent opponents yeah and
2: that's why i think it's it will be an interesting fight i think too that one of the criticisms that a lot of people have had of holly holm uh, in the ufc has been that she doesn't go after opponents enough that even when she's demonstrated that she's a better fighter a a much better striker uh, she's content to kind of hang back and stay just at the very Outside edge of striking distance and doesn't really go after people uh, and and come on and try to finish them. I think that one benefit she has here is Ronda Rousey. You know, just likes to charge straight at you. She's not going to be super hard to hit. Um, she's going to be moving forward. So there's one situation where I don't think we'll have to worry about Holly Holm's reluctance to to come forward on her own because Ronda Rousey's probably going to take care of that part for her. The problem is, uh, eventually, if you can't figure out a way to hit Ronda Rousey with something that will get her to think about it enough to stop her forward momentum, she's going to trap you against the fence. And when she does that, as we've seen uh, with her against a lot of opponents, she's probably going to be able to get you down there. And we haven't seen too much of Holly Holm on the ground to know uh, what her armbar defense is like, but we have seen Ronda Rousey armbar a whole lot of people who have some pretty good grappling credentials and who knew it was coming. So... You're right that it's hard for me to believe that if Holly Holm gets thrown down, that she's going to be able to pop back up and and stay out of danger. Although, I mean, hey, who knows? If she does it once, then maybe we all might very quickly collectively reevaluate our positions.
1: Yeah. In fairness about Holly Holm, we should point out that she has six stoppages in her nine MMA fights. Uh, Although you have to kind of that sounds good. Then you have to overlook that a couple of them are stuff like a TKO via leg kicks to Christiana Dompka and a TKO, TKO via body kicks on uh, Jan Cuddles Finney. So, you know, we get down into the independent career of Holly Holm, and it's not as though she was fighting top-level competition. However, you know, she showed against Juliana Werner in, in her uh, last fight before she got picked up by the UFC, like, she can kick you in the head and knock you out, and, and if that happened to Ronda Rousey, I'm not saying I would be surprised in a way that snapped my world in half. I think if I'm a guy who has 20 bucks, he's going to lay down on this fight. He would probably want to put it on Ronda Rousey. But at the same time, uh, you know, if Holly Holm landed a, a good shot that that knocked out Ronda Rousey, or if she goes out there and is just able to stop the takedowns over five rounds, like, I don't think that we should be shocked. And, you know, like we've kind of joked about on the show uh, a few times leading up to this fight, been a lot of stuff going on in the life of Ronda Rousey leading up to this fight uh and you would be a fool i think to pick against her but at the same time just being around the ufc as long as i have and it just seems like there's a lot of stuff going on with her that seems to happen to people when they feel like they are the unbeatable champion right before they lose a fight
2: yeah well she said before that she feels like she is better when there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and it's a little chaotic if so she must be a goddamn monster right now because, like we've talked about, not only is there just a whole lot of stuff going on for her professionally, you know, the UFC always seems to lean on her heavily for media stuff when there's a fight coming up. Uh, there's also a lot of stuff, it seems personally, like inside the camp there. We had the the feud scene between her mom and her coach, Edmund Targaryens, the Dragon King, who is also filing for bankruptcy, which then somehow comes back around on Ronda Rousey. You got the Travis Brown stuff. Uh, you know, it just seems like if there's ever a time where you're going to get distracted by both the stuff you have to do professionally and the, the constant pressure on you personally, now would be that time, right? At the same time, though, maybe as we've theorized before, Ronda Rousey is so good that she can be a little distracted and still beat up pretty much all of these women in the division.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have we have not seen any evidence to the contrary yet. Uh, it's a little bit surprising to me that the UFC, at least in this, did you see the first kind of like, it's not the first, but like the video vignette that they showed during fight night 77 from Sao Paulo about this fight, about Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm. And I mean, the
2: uh, commercials in between the commercials, Yes, the commercials
1: yeah. in between the commercials, this one, at least the one I remember seemed to lean surprisingly heavy on Ron or on Holly Holm's boxing credentials. Uh, they seem to really want to play her up as the former boxing champion who's going to come in and try to dethrone Ronda Rousey, uh, which I can understand from a we're trying to promote this fight to the general public standpoint. Because I guess that, you know, that's the stranger comes to town, an old fiction trope common in among Westerns.
2: Also known as the plot of every
1: Deadwood episode, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but it seems strange to me, at least, or like maybe even unfair to Holly Holm to focus really heavily on that. And ignore the fact that she's nine and zero in MMA and has almost exactly the same level of MMA or the same amount of MMA uh, competition that almost all of other Ronda Rousey's other opponents have had coming into a fight against her.
2: Yeah, but if you're looking to sell this one, uh, you do sell it as the boxing champion because what do you what do you sell it on from her MMA experience? I mean, she hasn't really she's undefeated, but she hasn't really done anything spectacular yet in MMA. You know, you could argue hasn't really had the chance to do anything too spectacular, and I do think that she has pretty good management that has groomed her career uh, fairly successfully up until this point, although this was another one of those things where they didn't necessarily want to jump into a title fight this soon, um, which makes you wonder uh, if the plan was let's squeeze as much money out as we can before we actually have to find out whether Holly Holm could beat Ronda Rousey.
1: Yeah. And just from the outside looking in, you do kind of wish that Holly Holm had had a little bit more time to season herself in the UFC. Uh, they had, they originally scheduled this fight further out and then they kind of cheated it up twice. Right. Uh, and I wish that she had had the extra time to, uh, to really get her legs under her in the UFC um, because that, that, Inexperience and the fact that she has looked a little tentative in her first two UFC fights. And, um, the fact that, you know, she has seemed a little, uh, tentative in the interview portions kind of makes me wonder how she's going to respond to be thrust, being thrust into this enormous stadium in Melbourne. Uh,
2: where 70,000 people will be in attendance, from what I hear.
1: <laughs> yeah. If we get to 70,000, that'll really be something, but a lot of people, let's just say there's going to be a lot of people there. It's going to be a big spotlight. And you you would assume that most of the throngs of fans that are going to be there will be cheering for Ronda Rousey. And among the many things that Holly Holm has to deal with heading into this fight, I believe, is going to be that spectacle, which kind of worries me a little bit. Although all of the people who know her and have trained with her say that she is among the most mentally tough people at the Jackson John Academy. So maybe I'm making too big a deal out out of that.
2: How do you think the stadium show aspect of it is going to go?
1: I, man, any, any possible way. Stadium shows for anything other than football and baseball seem dicey. Yeah. For concerts, for WrestleMania, for, uh, you know, mixed martial arts events. Could, it could turn out to be the greatest thing of all time. Could be the worst thing of all time. You never know.
2: You think this is the right show for the, for the stadium thing?
1: Well, this UFC 193, didn't, weren't they going to do something else? Was this, uh,
2: yeah, I think Robbie Lawler yeah. had that one planned. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It seems to me like sometimes I feel like the UFC might feel about stadium shows the same way that for a long time it seemed like they felt about print media where they really had it in their heads. Like we got to be in a newspaper, got to be in a magazine in order to feel legit. You're gonna I mean, leak
1: these fight bookings to the local paper.
2: Yeah. And it seemed like maybe they're doing the same thing with stadium show where, uh, Jurassic Park style, they were so busy thinking about whether they could,
1: they didn't stop to think about whether they should. Yeah, we talked about that last week, right? That they seem to get stuff in their minds that they feel like are milestones or signposts that they really want to do, and then oftentimes do it Regardless of whether or not it seems like the right timing or the actual right thing to do. So I don't know. I mean, we'll wait and see. We'll see what happens with this. I think it'll be, that's going to be one of the many aspects of this event that I think will be, will be interesting. And in case you were living under a rock and, and didn't know who the UFC very much wants to win, they are, uh, pre, you know, leading up to this fight going with a hashtag Rousey Revolution and the, uh, the tagline, every revolution starts with a fight. I don't think that they are expecting the Holly Home Revolution to show up.
2: You know the, you don't have the alliteration going there. Maybe home, oh, home, homecoming,
1: home homecoming. Oh man, we nailed it. Yeah. hashtag nailed it. Homecoming.
2: Now we just have to make up a backstory from Holly Home that features her uh, being found like as a as a babe in the Australian outback
1: by Mike Winkeljohn. Right? <laughs>
2: yes. He found her, she was being raised by a pack
1: of dingoes. He's out there wearing nothing but animal skins and walking with a staff. And the strange part is, like, (laughs) as I say that, you can see Mike Winklejohn doing that, right? Being on walkabout.
2: And he's on walkabout, finds this child, and thinks, I shall bring her back to America with me, and I shall make her into a champion.
1: I like it. I like Homecoming already. In fact, I would watch it at the theater if this whole fighting thing doesn't work out. (laughs) Ben, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll be done this week. Ben, I, I I talked about this a little bit during the uh, the round number one that we did, but I got to thinking after the Vitor Belfort-Dan Henderson fight got over and then also uh, today a little bit during our discussion about the stoppage, more and more as our understanding of brain science and concussions and CDE and all that continues to increase, I can't help but wonder if we're rapidly approaching a time when I'm not going to feel comfortable calling any stoppage that involves strikes to the head quote, unquote, early. I realize that that is going to, you know, we're going to have to strike some kind of a balance so that the way that this sport uh, is officiated and the rules we have to, you know, so it continues to operate and continues to be viable. But I'm starting to feel like I might think twice the next time I feel like somebody, quote, unquote, got robbed by an early stoppage when they are down on the mat, absorbing strikes on the ground. I'm just saying. Just saying.
2: Well Chad, I'm just saying I don't know if you heard that your boy Mirko Krokop Filipovich spoke out about the Reebok deal and says that, you know, he's not thrilled with the quality of the Reebok gear he was given to wear. Uh and he asked initially, according to him, if the shorts that the Reebok people made for him could incorporate, you know, his Croatian flag design uh that he is known for, kind of one of his major things. Uh, was he referred to in this translated interview, uh, as the boxes that I always wear. Um, they told him, no, that they could not do that. And here's his quote from this. I do not understand who would mind. Their attitude is that all fighters could ask for something specific. I'll have to accept this because I've performed for this promotion. I do not like this since the checkerboard has been my trademark shorts since my first fight. Uh, I'm just saying when he says that they would not do it because, hey, then everybody might ask for their own special thing. You mean everybody might ask for customized, personalized gear? Pretty much exactly what was promised before this deal actually took place? I'm just saying it seems like the reason they won't do the Croatian flag thing for Cro kind of goes into conflict with exactly what they said they
1: were going to do. I'm just saying. Just saying. I did know that because my Google alert for Mirko Krokop went off earlier this week. Just went crazy. He huh? made those comments. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to tell you what happened at UFC 193. And look ahead to the UFC show that is the week after that. Whatever it happens to be. Uh, as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.
2: A side story in the homecoming uh, feature release is Mike Winklejohn, After he realizes he is teaching this girl to fight excellently as she is a child, he also realizes he has to do kind of the Eliza little thing to get rid of her Australian outback accent. Yeah, make her sound all New Mexico and stuff. I would
1: like to see Greg Jackson. Pass-